It was 2005 when the OC Supertones released their ninth album, which was titled Faith of a Child. This album includes their ska-based renditions of classic hymns like Come Thou Fount and Blessed Assurance, and, and I love their versions of these songs. But this album also includes the title track, which is called Faith of a Child, and and it's actually an OC Supertones original, which contains lyrics that encourage every believer to continue retaining and maintaining a childlike faith, and especially on those days when we're struggling to understand why the Lord is allowing us to suffer. I'm sure we've all experienced those seasons and those days when we're wondering, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why is he allowing these things to happen in my life? Without debate, we have these sorts of times when we're struggling with lots of questions and concerns. And and as we consider the lyrics of this song, you know, the song begins with the perspective of a concerned believer who's filled with many questions and many concerns. But rather than allowing those questions and those concerns to become a reason uh, you know, for, for why we should start, start doubting the Lord, you know, the, the chorus of this song then goes on to remind us that born-again believers should simply continue trusting in the Lord with the faith of a child. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to have. Childlike faith. And just to be clear, It'll help us to know that a childlike faith, it's a conviction that leads us to trust our Heavenly Father. And yeah, even when we don't understand why he allows our faith to be put to the test. Not only that, but a childlike faith is also an optimistic hope that helps us to remember that our Creator is working all things together for the good of those who trust in him. And while it's not uncommon for us to lean on our own understanding because we somehow think that we've got it all figured out or that we can think things through and and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and all these sorts of things. Listen, the Lord has a way of using the situations that, that we experience here in this world to bring us back to that simple childlike faith by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Yeah, the Lord does that. He continues to place us in situations that bring us to the end of ourselves so that we remember, oh yeah, we need to, we need to walk with a childlike faith. And with that being the case, I want to spend some time today considering the features of childlike faith. Here in our text today, we find the Lord Jesus helping his audience to understand that those who want to enjoy the benefits of belonging to the kingdom of of heaven, well, we must first approach the Lord with a childlike faith. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we'll begin to see, first of all, that a childlike faith responds to the call. Secondly, we'll learn that a childlike faith receives the king. Thirdly, and finally, we'll learn that a childlike faith reproduces in kind. Well, with this as the outline, if you would, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Here we find a group of parents bringing their babies to Jesus. Now, as you make your way to the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. I want to remind you that it was back in the beginning of this chapter where we found Luke. He was describing the way in which the Lord Jesus was presenting the people with two parables about prayer. 
And now here in our text today, we find some parents who were present at that Bible study. They're responding to those parables by bringing their babies to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to pray for their children. Unfortunately for them, you know, the disciples treated those parents like they were interrupting our Savior. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 18. We'll begin reading there at verse 15. Here Luke writes, Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now here in our text today, we find this group of parents, they're bringing their babies to Christ Jesus. And the reason why? Well, it's because they wanted to, they they wanted the Lord to invoke the blessings of God upon their children. As a matter of fact, it's in the parallel account, which we find in Matthew chapter 19. There we learn that the little children were brought to him so that he might pray for them. From their example, I encourage every parent to realize that the most important thing that you can do for your children is to lead them to Jesus. And that's not to suggest that you shouldn't help them to learn about reading and writing and arithmetic, whatever that is. But, but yeah, so they need an education. You know, we don't want our kids to be illiterate. But what's even more important than a good education? A relationship with Jesus Christ. If our kids grow up and, and never read a book, you know, after they graduate from high school, except the Bible, well, that's smart enough. The most important thing that any parent can do is lead their children to Jesus Christ because this is a decision that has eternal consequences. Sadly, the apostles of Christ didn't fully grasp this. They didn't really get the spiritual significance of these parents bringing their babies to Jesus. They just saw this as an interruption of our Messiah. And so rather than seeing this as an incredible opportunity for the Lord Jesus to minister to these families, the apostles instead rebuked those parents and sent them away. That word rebuked, which is found there at the end of verse 15 was translated from a Greek word which was used of those who admonish or chide or sharply charge with wrongdoing. The same word can be used of those who reprimand, whether it be a verbal reproof or a physical restraint. The scholars who created the New Living Translation clear this up by rendering verse 15 in this way. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. They scolded the parents for bringing their babies to Jesus. The disciples of Christ saw these parents as people who were interrupting the Lord with some sort of insignificant request. And it's for this reason that the disciples scolded them and sent them away. And and while they truly believed that they were sparing the Lord from this minor ministry opportunity, you know, they were actually misrepresenting our Messiah. They were misrepresenting our Messiah because Jesus has no problem ministering to our children. 
to prove my point, let's take another look at our text today. I, I want to draw your attention back to Luke 18, verse 15. Here again, we learn that they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus, Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, as we take a closer look at these verses, we quickly see here that the Lord Jesus was more than happy to spend time praying for these babies. It's for this reason that rather than allowing them to be sent away, he called the parents to come back. He called out to them. That word called, well, that word called found there in the beginning of verse 16 was translated from a Greek word which speaks of a summons or an invitation by which a person is called to come. Therefore, the Lord Jesus is inviting them to come back. He's inviting them to come back so that he, so that he can pray for those children. The same Greek word translated called was also used in a metaphorical sense in reference to the way that God calls unbelievers to enter into fellowship with the Father by faith in Christ Jesus. This calling is typically extended through the believers who go out and proclaim the gospel of grace by which sinners can be saved. And as we contemplate the metaphorical meaning of this word called, well, I want to take a moment to consider the way in which the Lord is expecting every sinner to receive the call. Yeah, the the, the Lord is actually expecting every sinner to receive his call with the simple faith that is exemplified by children. And with this as the focus, if you would, let's consider how Christ Jesus puts it here in Luke chapter 18. If you would look with me once again there at verse 16, here we learn that Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. In other words, the the Lord Jesus was not only willing to pray for these babies who were brought to him, but but he also pointed to those preschoolers as a perfect picture of childlike faith. I like the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation render the words of Jesus. They put it like this. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. In other words, those who want to enter the kingdom of God, well, we must enter in with the faith of a child. To further grasp the point that the Lord Jesus here is making, let's consider the way that he explains it to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. If you would hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. As you make your way to the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel account, I want to take a moment to consider the sort of faith that's demonstrated by children. Let's take a moment to just think back to the days of our early childhood. This, of course, will be so much easier for some of us than others. Uh, the, the chances are when you were a child, you know, you totally trusted your parents to meet all of your needs. How many of us, when we were little, little kids, 
you know, thought, I wonder if the mortgage is going to be paid this month. Anybody have that concern when you were a little, little kid? I'm guessing that there are some kids who think through those things if, if you know, if, if life is rough for them. But, uh, but for, on average, most kids don't even think about that. Most kids aren't wondering, you know, I wonder if there's going to be any food this month. Most kids don't have those concerns. I'm guessing that, you know, you just trusted your parents to provide. You trusted that your parents were going to have a house for you and that your parents were going to have food on the table. And it was just a simple faith that you had in your parents. I'm guessing that you believed your parents when they told you stories about Santa Claus and his magical flying reindeer. Yeah, you probably believed them. You probably believed them when they told you about some Easter bunny who always seems to have chocolate eggs. I don't, I don't get it. When your parents told you about the tooth fairy and you can put that tooth that you just pulled out of your face, you know, under your pillow. There'll be money there in the morning. Probably believed them. Put that tooth right under that pillow and, oh wow, a quarter. Hmm. Tooth fairy's a cheapskate. But you believed. And we believed because we had no problem believing everything that our parents told us. And, and sure, this is a gullible kind of faith. And yet it was a childlike faith that just led us to, to believe our parents until the day we found out that they were lying to us about all of these things. I'm not bitter. But seriously, you know, this is the sort of childlike faith that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 18. If you would look with me here at Matthew 18, beginning at verse 1, here Matthew writes, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as Bible scholars. Oh, no. That's not what it says. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus helping his disciples to understand that those who want to enter the kingdom of heaven must first respond to the call of Christ Jesus with a simple childlike faith. Just to be clear, you know, Christ Jesus is calling every unbeliever to trust in him with this sort of simple faith of a child. You know, he's, he's calling to everyone. He's sent the Holy Spirit to convict everyone in the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And this is the calling that, that he's using to draw people to the cross. And he expects every unbeliever to answer the call. But the only people who will are those who will come to him with a childlike faith. Now this brings us to our second point because listen, childlike faith not only responds to Christ's call, but childlike faith also helps us to receive Jesus as the King of Kings. And with this as our focus, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 18. Here we find the Lord Jesus encouraging his audience to receive the kingdom of God 
with the faith of a child. And if you would, let's back up here in Luke 18. Let's begin reading once again there at verse 15. Here Luke tells us that they brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's warning his audience about the consequences which will eventually come upon those who will not receive the kingdom of God with the faith of a little child. According to the Lord Jesus, you know, those who will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will notice by no means enter it. There are no means other than faith in Jesus Christ by which a sinner can enter the kingdom of heaven. What this means then is that Jesus here in presenting this warning, he's dividing every person into one of two camps. There are those who will fail to enter the kingdom of God because they refuse to enter in with a simple faith in Jesus Christ. And then there are those who are able to enter in. And the reason why is because they've received the kingdom of God as a little child. Now, for the sake of clarity, it'll help us to understand that the word receive, when we're told to receive the kingdom of God as a little child, that word received, well, that's translated from a Greek word which speaks of those who grant access to a visitor. Now, think about that for a moment, you know, because if you go to, you know, some you know, high-end business building. There's typically, you know, a reception area where you approach and you get access to the building. You have to have some level of clearance or permission to then go past that, uh, that reception booth. And so this word receive speaks of this, you know, granting of access to a visitor. The same word was also used of those who embrace the instructions of another. And with these definitions in mind, we can see then the Lord Jesus is helping his audience to understand that those who want to receive access to the kingdom of heaven must first receive the instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ with simple faith. This, of course, includes the instructions that the Lord Jesus began to present at the beginning of his earthly ministry when he declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then it's a requirement to repent and believe because the kingdom of heaven is already at hand. And while it's true that the Lord Jesus was encouraging his audience here to enter the kingdom by receiving his instructions with childlike faith, you know, he's indirectly encouraging them to enter the kingdom by also receiving the one who grants the access. And of course, I'm talking about the king. Just think about it for a moment. You know, the, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom. Why? Well, because there's a king. And in order to have a kingdom, you have to have a king. Therefore, when Jesus encourages his audience to receive the kingdom of God with the faith of a child, he's implicitly encouraging them to enter the kingdom of God uh, by receiving the king of the kingdom. And if you're wondering who the king of the kingdom is, well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
To prove my point, I want to consider the confession that Christ Jesus made as he stood trial before a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. And with this as the focus, if you would hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 18. You see, it's here in the 18th chapter of John's Gospel account. Here we find Pontius Pilate, this Roman governor. He's interrogating the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's asking Jesus about the accusations that the Jewish leaders had made against him, which included the accusation that Christ Jesus claimed to be the king of kings and therefore was rejecting the superiority of Caesar. And that's why a Roman governor is now interested in this sort of treasonous insurrection that Jesus may have been causing. With all this historic context in mind, let's consider this interrogation, which is found here in John chapter 18. I want to draw your attention to verse 33. Here we learn that Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation And the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Here we find the Lord Jesus confirming the fact that he is the king. And not just the king over some earthly realm. No, instead he is the king of a heavenly kingdom. And with that being the case, listen, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than the authority of any earthly leader. This not only included Caesar there in the first century, but this also includes any leader on the planet today. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. The apostle John confirms this. In Revelation chapter 19, where he describes the vision of the return of Jesus Christ, where the Lord Jesus is returning on on a white horse. And John tells us in Revelation 19 verse 16 that Jesus has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not just a king. He's not just one of many kings. He's the king of kings. Paul confirmed this in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he encouraged Pastor Timothy by writing, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Incredible. Paul confirms that the Lord Jesus was speaking the truth when he informed Pontius Pilate that he is the king of a heavenly kingdom. 
and seeing how God and God alone is the only potentate. He is the only king of kings. He is the only Lord of lords. Then it only stands to reason that Jesus then must be the physical incarnation of our invisible, immortal God. That being the case, those who want to enter the kingdom of God, well, they must gain access from the king. They must receive granted access from the king of kings. And how do we do that? With the faith of a child. At the same time, those who reject the king of kings, well, they won't be granted access. They won't be able to enter in. To prove my point, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 18. I want to take another look at what Jesus said here in verse 17. There Jesus again declares, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Those who won't receive the king of kings with the faith of a child, well, they won't be given access to the kingdom of God either. And the reason why is because there is no other access giver. There, there is no other authority to appeal to. You can't go to heaven and stand before the king of kings and say, yeah, but Buddha gave me access. No, he didn't. But Krishna said, what does that matter? But Muhammad, but Joseph Smith, but Charles Taze Russell, but none of them had the authority. Jesus only has the authority to grant access to enter the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus confirms this in John chapter 14, where he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus wasn't claiming to be a way, one of many ways. He is the way, which is to say that he's the only way. And if you have an issue with God only providing us with one way, I would say, hey, be careful. We don't even deserve the one way. We've got no place to start demanding more than one. The Lord Jesus doubled down on this claim in John chapter 10 where he declares, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door for the sheep. He is the only door for the sheep. He's the only way for sinners to become sheep. He's the only, only way for us to enter the kingdom of God. There's not many doors in. All those who came before Jesus claiming to be a Messiah, claiming to be a Savior, claiming to be the way, Jesus says, no, they're thieves and robbers. I didn't say it. You got a problem, take it up with Jesus. I'm just letting you know that according to Jesus Christ, who most people will say is a good teacher, well, here's what he's teaching. He's the only door. He's the only way. And anybody else who claims to be a way of salvation is a thief and a robber. 
Jesus and Jesus alone has provided us with a way to receive the forgiveness of sins by which sinners are able to become the children of God. And to, to prove my point, let's consider the way that John put it in the first chapter of his gospel. If you would hold your place here in the gospel of Luke, I'd like you to turn in your Bible now to John chapter 1. And as you make your way to the first chapter of John's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to remind you that our creator dwells in unapproachable light. He's an, he's an infinite being who dwells in unapproachable light. And because his, his, his holiness is, is so pure and glorious, the king of kings can't allow unrepentant sinners to exist in the perfection of his glorious presence. You know, you know just imagine for a moment you're sitting there at your house and, and there's a knock at the door and there's somebody that you don't know from Adam and, and they've clearly lived a rough life and, 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 you know, let's just imagine that it's just like the the, the scariest looking person you've ever seen. And they're asking you, can I, can I stay in your spare room tonight and tomorrow night and for the rest of my life? What are you going to say? Come on in? Probably not. And yet, should we imagine going and standing before God in our sins one day and thinking, yeah, he'll just let me into heaven? Not in our sins. We can't enter heaven in our sins because our sins can't continue to exist in the holiness of God or in his presence. And not only that, but as a just judge, well, the just judge of heaven and earth must condemn and punish every single sin. Otherwise, he's not just. If Jesus fails to punish every single sin ever committed, then he fails to be a just judge. And that's really bad news for us. And the reason why is because we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. And with that being the case, we all deserve the just judgment of Jesus. Every single sin we've ever committed deserves justice. That being the case, we can rejoice in knowing that God the Father sent his only begotten Son to come and receive the just punishment that we deserve so that the King of Kings can remain just while also becoming the justifier of those who will trust in him with the faith of a child. What this means then is that those who will receive the King of Kings with the childlike faith that we're supposed to have were able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why is because those who trust in Jesus Christ have been cleansed from the stain of their sin and have then become the adopted children of God. Let's consider how John puts it here in John chapter one. Look with me there at John chapter one. We'll begin reading at verse 10. Here John tells us that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But notice, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What an incredible truth. Every sinner who will simply receive the Lord Jesus Christ with the faith of a child 
We become the children of God at the very moment when we believe in his holy name. It's not because of our bloodline. It's not because of our earthly lineage. It's not because, you know, we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and made ourselves more perfect in his eyes. It's not by the will of man that we somehow, you know, managed to, to, to work it out. But rather it's because of the will of God. God has willed that those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And at the very moment of, of saving faith, that's when we are born again, born of the spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the very same moment, those who receive the King of Kings by faith in the cross of Christ, we are given full access into the kingdom of heaven because we've become the children of God. Why would God the Father tell us that we can't come into his kingdom? Imagine you're sitting at your house and there's a knock at the door and you open the door and there's your child. And they've lived a rough life and they've been gone for a season. But it's your child. And they want back into the house and they want to live in the spare room. You letting them in? Of course you are. Because that's your child. And the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ are granted full access into the kingdom of heaven. From this, we see that a childlike faith will not only respond to Christ's call, but a childlike faith receives the king of kings as we embrace the cross of Christ. And it's in that moment when we become the children of God. Thirdly and finally, though, it's also important to understand that a childlike faith will also reproduce in kind. And in order to explain what I mean by this, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 18. Here we find the Lord Jesus... He's encouraging those parents who brought their babies before him. And, and I want to back up here in Luke 18 to begin reading once again at verse 15. Here again, Luke tells us that they brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now, as we take one last look at these verses, we must not fail to notice that, you know, it, it was the parents who had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, who were then also bringing their babies to Jesus so that he might bless them too. Why else would you bring your babies to Jesus unless you had also placed your faith in him? Those who had placed their faith in Jesus were now bringing their babies. And just to be clear, the word brought, which is found back in verse 15, well, it's translated from a Greek word, which was used of those who carry others to a different destination. The same Greek word was used by those who lead others. And in, in this context, it's a, a speaking of those who lead others to the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what these parents were doing. They brought their babies to the Lord Jesus. Now, if you'll allow me a little liberty here, I'd like to engage in a little sanctified speculation, and, and I'd like to draw out a, a, a spiritualization of this text. I, I want to present you with a parallel between these parents who were bringing their babies to Jesus and the born-again believer who then reproduces their faith by bringing unbelievers to the Lord Jesus. You see, much like these parents who reproduced children after their own kind— it's the adopted children of God who then are supposed to become mature believers who also reproduce their childlike faith in the lives of those that they're bringing to Jesus. 
to further grasp the point that I'm seeking to make, I want to consider the encouragement that Paul presents to the Christians in Corinth. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, as you make your way to the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, I just want to take a moment to point out that the Lord Jesus has commanded every Christian to go out and accomplish the Great Commission. And while it's true that the Great Commission includes the discipleship of born-again believers who are then baptized in Christ and, and then discipled in Christ, and all that's very important, but we must not fail to notice that the Great Commission actually begins with evangelism. The Great Commission begins when we lead an unbeliever to Jesus Christ so that they can become the children of God. Well, with all this in mind, let's consider the way that Paul described his relationship with the Christian converts that he had led to the Lord there in the city of Corinth. If you would look with me here at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to draw your attention there to verse 14, because here Paul declares, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now here in these verses, we find Paul, he's actually describing the Christians there in Corinth as his beloved children. And it's important to understand you know, that, that Paul was the man who went to Corinth and, 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 and preached the gospel and led people to Christ and planted this church, and, and he's the one who had done all this work, and so therefore, in a spiritual sense, he was their father. Now, now, don't take this in a, in a Catholic sort of way. I'm not going to turn my collar around and do these sorts of things. I don't even expect anyone here to call me a father, and, and, and that, that would be incorrect. But listen, every person you've led to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are like a spiritual parent to them. The, the guy that led me to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is like a spiritual father to me. We also find Paul here referring to Timothy as his beloved faithful son in the Lord. And, and we see this again in 1 Timothy chapter 1. There Paul refers to Timothy as his true son in the faith. Paul considered Timothy his true son in the faith. And, and with all this in mind, we can see then how those uh, who led us to the Lord, they're like spiritual parents for us. They, they brought us to Jesus. They engendered us to Jesus by, by coming and presenting us with the gospel of grace, and by leading us to Jesus so that we can be blessed by the Lord. What, what this also means then is that those who have truly become adopted children of God, every born-again believer here this morning then, we've been called to reproduce our faith the adopted children of God will eventually become mature believers who are bringing other unbelievers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this way, we reproduce our childlike faith according to its kind in the hearts of others. The evidence that you've actually received the King of Kings with childlike faith is demonstrated by the new desire that you have to go and produce spiritual offspring through the preaching of the gospel. 
To further prove my point, let's consider the way that Paul put it in his letter to the church in Rome. If you would, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Uh, you see it's here in the 10th chapter of Romans where we find Paul. He's helping the Christians there at the church in Rome to realize that those who want to reproduce their faith in the hearts of others, well, there's only one way to go about this. And it's by taking the time to go and plant the seed of God's word, preaching the gospel of grace in the hearts of unbelievers so that they might be born again with a childlike faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to help others receive the king of kings with, a, with the faith of a child, we must go and preach the gospel and, and lead them to the cross of Christ so that they might believe and be saved. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 10. Look with me there, beginning at verse 13. Here Paul declares, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Paul here is helping his audience to understand that those who want to reproduce their faith in the hearts of others must take the time to plant the seed of God's word into the hearts of unbelievers by presenting them or preaching to them the gospel of grace. And you might be thinking, well, Bunge, I thought you were the preacher. No, I'm not the preacher. I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor who is called to send you to go preach. That's what Paul says here. How shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Well, Christian, I'm here to send you to go preach the gospel, to plant the seed of God's word in the hearts of the unbelievers that you know so that they might, with a childlike faith, trust in the King of Kings and be saved. And as we proclaim the gospel of grace to the unbelievers in our sphere of influence, you know, we're, we're simultaneously reproducing our faith according to its kind. We do this by helping unbelievers to receive the king of kings with a child-like faith. The good news is that those who will embrace the king of kings with the faith of a child, well, we've also embraced the victory of the cross. I like the way that the apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 5. There he declares, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Those of us who have entered into the kingdom of God with the faith of a child, we've received the victory that the Lord Jesus accomplished when he died for our sins there on the cross. That victory isn't future tense, though we, we will experience it forever. But that victory belongs to us today, Christian. Today, those who trust in Jesus Christ have, have overcome this world. The reason why? Because Jesus has already overcome this wicked world. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can rejoice in knowing that we Christians, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. With that being the case, it only makes sense then to continue trusting him with the faith of a child. Yeah, but the world is spinning out of control, yeah? Who are you going to trust? You? 
the government. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Therefore, we should trust in him. I like the way that King Solomon summed it up in Proverbs chapter 3 there. He declares, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. This is a, a perfect summary of what it means to have a childlike faith. Much like the child who trusts in their parent to, to, to supply for all their needs, you know, the, the Lord wants us to have that faith in him. And that's great news because remember when we were little kids, you know, we weren't worried too much about a mortgage payment, were we? We didn't spend much time concerned about the rising cost of gas, did we? When I was a kid back in the 70s, not once did I think, you know, how are we going to afford, you know, the, the, the current gas prices under Carter? Didn't think twice about it. Never even knew there was an issue. It just took a lot longer to get gas at the gas station. I never wondered where the next meal was coming from. And that's not to suggest that my parents never had financial issues. They did. And yet there was always something to eat. And we always trusted our parents to provide for all of our needs. And that's what the Lord is inviting us to do with him. To trust in him with that childlike faith. Are you worried about where the next meal is coming from? Are you concerned about the rising cost of gas? Are you wondering how you're going to pay the bills? I invite you to remember something that the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. It's there where he declares, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For notice, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Are you concerned about the collapsing economy? And the recession, they're saying, is on the way? Are you worried about the increasing costs at the gas pump and you're wondering how much is it going to cost tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Will your worrying change one thing about the cost of gas tomorrow? You know, will President Biden think, oh, they're worried. Let's, let's fix this. No. Are you worried about how all of this is going to impact the cost of everything? If these are the things you're worried about, I encourage you to remember that those who trust in the King of Kings with a childlike faith, we can rejoice in knowing that we have a heavenly father who has already promised to meet all of our needs. Is he a liar? Is he untrustworthy? 
or will he make good on that promise? Now, this isn't me telling you that you have a green light to go home and wait on a government check. That you can just sleep the day away and eat bonbons and all that kind of stuff. No. We've been called to work hard. We've been called to save. We've been, we've been called to store up like the ants. We, we've been called to be responsible. And yet at the end of the day, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Because God already sees tomorrow. And he's promised to supply for all of our needs. Therefore, rather than worrying about tomorrow, I encourage you to seek the kingdom of God today and to seek the Lord with the faith of a child. As we begin to wrap up this message, we should take a moment to just engage in a little self-examination. I'd like to present you with a question that I hope that we would all you know, use to examine our own lives. And, and, and the question is this. Am I more like the parents who are bringing their babies to Jesus? Or am I more like the disciples who were blocking the babies from receiving the blessings of our Savior? In other words, are we bringing unbelievers to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they might believe and be blessed with salvation? Or are we standing in the way of their conversion because we're actually keeping them from seeing the Lord Jesus in our lives? And just to kind of zero in on this a little bit further, you know, I'd like to take a moment to ask in this way, you know, uh, what's your go-to conversation when you're talking with unbelievers? And does that conversation ever end up with the gospel? You know, if you spend all your time with unbelievers and you talk about work or your hobbies or, you know, your concerns about this conspiracy theory or or that problem in the government or whatever, and and it never ends up on the gospel, aren't you in fact hindering them from coming to Jesus? I encourage every born again believer here this morning to realize that we've been called to accomplish the Great Commission. We've been called to go out and preach the gospel. Not our politics, not our hobbies, and not to say there's anything wrong with talking about those things. But our one call is to preach the gospel so that we can bring unbelievers to Jesus Christ. And so let's do that. Let's lead unbelievers to the Lord so that we might reproduce our faith in their hearts. Let's help unbelievers around us to trust in the Lord with the faith of a child so that they might enter the kingdom of God. With this as the goal, it's my hope that that we might help others to respond to Christ's call with childlike faith by presenting them with the gospel of grace. Let's help them to receive the king of kings with that childlike faith so that they can gain access to the kingdom of heaven. And, And as we do, you know, we are helping them to enter the kingdom of God as we reproduce our childlike faith by planting the seed of his gospel in the their hearts. So rather than wasting our lives on so many things that will never bring anybody to Jesus Christ, rather than worrying about all the things that are so far beyond our control that there's nothing we can do about them, let's instead set all that aside and let's walk with the Lord with the faith of a child so that we can then help others to receive the blessings of Jesus Christ as we lead them to to enter into the kingdom of God with childlike faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus,